Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. And today I've got two guests this hour. The first is the lady who knows it all when it comes to estate planning and the Medicaid spend down. And it's Mary Nash. She knows all the things with her motto. If you have a dollar and two relatives, you need to do some estate planning. And she has her dog with her in the interview. It's so cute. Then you'll get to meet Sarah Catherine Gutierrez, who's our own money honey here in the state of Arkansas. And she's the author of But First Save 10. She will help you with the days leading to retirement. It's our financial power hour, and you'll get to meet Mary first and then Sarah Catherine right after this. If you have a dollar and two relatives, how many of you in Arkansas recognize that saying? It's what Mary Nash from the Nash Law Firm says in both her radio and TV ads, and she's saying it today on my podcast. She and her firm are exclusively sponsoring this half hour of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast because it's that important that you listen to this message about what they can do for you at the Nash Law Firm. MalmelLaw.com is the website, but they're the firm that's big enough to handle anything small enough to care. Mary's the one who's in the ads with her pup illegal. Yeah, isn't that cute? It's a paralegal. And she does explain to you that it really doesn't matter the size of your estate. It's the fact that you have even a dollar and two relatives so that they're not fighting it out in court. She explains all of that in a meeting. In fact, when you make the appointment, you actually meet with Mary Nash and then her law firm can help with the rest. I'm so impressed with the standard of care and the quality that they put out there that I approach Mary about sponsoring this half hour. That's how good they are. You could be a client too. Listen to this half hour and you'll learn more. And then you'll go to the website, which is in the show notes, mallmellaw.com. She won most talkative in high school and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. Okay, kids, I want you to gather around the radio because this is where Miss Lisa brought in the expert for you, the expert on estate planning. And I know a lot of listeners are thinking that's what people do when they're old or they're wealthy or they have a million relatives or no, no, no. My friend Mary Nash will tell you differently. Um, she's famous here in Arkansas because she's been on our television sets and on the radio uh, with her dog and she's going to use her famous tagline in a minute. But Mary, what is it people need to know in estate planning? What is it you say in your spots? We always say, Mary and I, if you have a dollar and two relatives, you need to do some estate planning because you don't want your relatives fighting over your stuff. And Bear is in her lap right now. Um, many of you will see this on YouTube. Um, those of you gathered around your device on the podcast, definitely check out the YouTube link for this episode because uh, Bear's famous, right? Oh, yes. He's a pup illegal. Probably okay. the only pup illegal in the world. Yes, pro probably. Okay, so uh, full disclosure, pull the curtain back. I called you a few weeks ago, and you so enlightened 
my husband and me about estate planning. We already planned our estate, but because I'm the executor of my aunt's will, we really didn't know what all's involved with hers. And so you have to bring in the experts. You're the expert. But kind of explain to me, what what's the first thing people need to know as they're aging, whether they're 25 listening to this, 55 or 85? What should everyone be doing now? Everyone should be getting their planning together. And so many people think that all they have to do is have a will. Or I had a man the other day tell me he was his son was the only son and therefore he'd get everything and he didn't need to do anything else. A will is a ticket to probate. Probate is set up to get your bills paid. So it's a court action. Here in Arkansas, you have to wait six months after you run it two ads in the newspaper, letting the world know that there may be some claims out there. Well, what do I mean by claims? Well, it might be debts. It might be, you know, you hit somebody's pickup truck and now they're trying to get some money out of it. Uh, and so it goes to probate for the judge to determine what you owe before anything goes out to the heirs. And of course, if you do nothing, you don't have a will. Uh, the law says where things go and your heirs are your bloodline, your blood relatives, your children. Okay? And what people don't understand if they're in a second marriage is my children are my children not my spouse's children. So if we own a home together with right of survivorship and I die, it belongs to my husband. And then when he dies, it belongs to his kids, oh, not my kids. Got okay. it. And so, so we does have the, to do some does planning. The will, so if the will is the ticket to probate, does the will start d dividing up at that point all property? Everything you own has to go through probate to get to your heirs, okay? That would be an account that has just my name on it, okay? It would be my real estate that is deeded in my name. Everything I own has to go through the probate process to change ownership over to my children. I'm assuming that's where it's going to go. Yeah. And so if, I'm, if I do nothing, I still have to go through the probate process, and then the law says where it goes to my blood children. Okay, grandchildren, great grandchildren down the bloodline. If it is a will and I say I'm leaving kid number one out because I don't like them anymore, uh, that kid can still come to the court and say, Mom didn't know what she was doing. Oh. Uh, or Mom was influenced by my sister to leave me out. So I'm going to contest it. Oh, so shoot. now we have a fight in the courts. How, how the judge do you make Right. How does child one prove that mom was not of sound mind when a lawyer of sound mind, I assume, wrote it up, signed it and sealed it and delivered it? Okay. Well, we have to test to make sure that you are of sound mind. Uh, I had a client one time who came in and I was kind of testing her a little bit and I asked, you know, what do you think of the president? And she started talking and she said, uh, and he had, it was at that time, it was Obama. And uh, he had been off on a trip that weekend. This was a Monday. And she said, you know, he's in a wheelchair. She was in her early nineties. And I said, oh, did he get hurt? And she goes, no, he has polio. Mm -hmm. Well, I knew she was not current in time and place. Mm -hmm. uh, we couldn't do any planning for her. So we asked things like, uh, what's your full name? Uh, what's your birth date? Where were you born? Uh, do you have children? What are their names? Full names. What are their birth dates? Uh, sometimes even, you know, as we get older, we think, let's see now, what's the date of that kid's birthday? Oh, I, but, you I know, do it normally now. Yeah. We mm -hmm. can, 
you know, we we make sure that you are current in time and space. You are okay to make decisions for yourself. We usually ask if they come with their son or daughter, we usually ask them to wait out in the lobby until we spend a little time with mom to make sure she's not being influenced by that child. Uh, and we ask them, do you want me to bring the child in? Is there anything you need to tell me in advance? Uh, and so we go through those tests before we have the client uh, sign anything. want to make sure that they're competent to do that. And then when they come in to sign, because there's a time and space between the time we talk to them and get the paperwork done, uh, we have them maybe go through some of those things again, confirming. Uh, now, your daughter's name is Matilda, and her middle name is what again? You know, just confirming those things, right? Uh, and then we tell the client, now, we're going to spend probably a year getting this from death to distribution. And the client will often, well, I don't want that. I want my kids or grandkids to get this now. Well, then you need to be looking at a living trust. And then we avoid probate if we put everything in the name of the trust. And I always try to get clients to think about a trust as a box. Your lawyer designs the box based on your specifications. Then we put all of your assets in the box in your name, trustee. Three characters are acting in trust planning. Uh, the trust maker, or call, often called the grantor. Okay. Uh, that's the person who made the trust. And by gosh, I can change it anytime I want to, kid. Don't you mess with me. I can take right. you out. Mm-hmm. And then there's the trustee, the manager. I can spend the money. I can save the money. I can use it, abuse it, whatever. But at my death, my successor trustee, the person I trust the most in the world, will distribute, not a probate judge. Okay. Then what's the executor? The executor is to a will as a successor trustee is to a trust. Oh. So the executor is the person that files the will in the court. Hopefully the court will appoint them as the executor because I have named them in my will. And mm-hmm. then I'm the person responsible for collecting up the bills, collecting up the assets, and reporting to the court. And then when I have permission to pay the bills by the judge, I'm the person responsible for paying the bills. When I can show that the bills are all paid, I can go to the court and say, okay, judge, I'm ready to distribute. Let's do it. But I still have to wait for the judge to say go. And is it always a six-month window? Well, here it is in Arkansas, okay? Okay. Where there, and, and in every state, there is a creditor's or, or right, I guess you'd say, the uh, claims window where the court's going to say, I'm giving these people time to get in here and tell us that there is something owed. And probate basically is set up to get your bills paid. And let's say the person involved is in a nursing home with you would, I guess at that time, have no debts. Well, I mean, I get, well, no, not necessarily, because you could still own, own a home and some other things. Is there anybody who's in the nursing home then that's totally autonomous from any financial obligations and then it would go speedier or does it? No, we talk about here in Arkansas about, uh, we call it the Medicaid cross because uh, Medicaid is a cross you have to bear. People (laughs) get confused about Medicare, which pays your hospital, doctor bills, those things. And Medicaid, Medicaid pays your room and board in a nursing home. And the Medicaid cross tells us what you can keep. And so, and we tell everybody, draw a cross on a piece of paper. And on the left side of the cross, you write the word assets. What can I keep and be on Medicaid and be in a nursing home? 
Well, I, if I'm the one in the nursing home, the institutional spouse, I can keep $2,000. I can have a prepaid burial. If I have a spouse, my spouse and I can keep the house and a car, right? Uh, and my spouse can keep in Arkansas now in increments up to $150,000, let's say. Okay. Everything else has to be spent down. No, it's down to $2,000 and the $150,000. Now, move to the other side of the cross and you write the word income. Okay. And the income that I in the nursing home in Arkansas can keep is $40. So the rest of my money goes to pay DHS, Department of Human Services, for me to be in a nursing home. Now, my spouse on the other side, okay, she's got to have some or he's got to have some money to live. Right. So they can keep their income. And if they don't have enough income, let's say we've got a wife who's bringing in $800 a month because uh, she didn't really work during her lifetime, uh, she can draw up to about $3,000 from his income. The rest of it has to go to pay for care. Now, care here in Arkansas right now is running about $8,000 a month. So, you know, most families don't have that much income coming in. And remember, if we've got a spouse at home, We've got to take care of that spouse at home. Right. So you're basically down to broke by the time you get to on Medicaid. Okay. And that's not what any of us want. No. So we talk about how do I avoid that? You can do what's called a Medicaid pre-planning trust, but it has to be in place five years before you apply for Medicaid in order for you to preserve your assets. But there's some things we can't transfer over immediately to a Medicaid pre-planning trust. For example, if you've got a, an IRA, if we move it over to the trust, you've got to pay the taxes. <laughs> None of us want to do that. Okay? Right. So what we're thinking about there is I need to plan in advance and make sure that all my assets can be salvaged. Well, if I still have the IRA outside, I would use that to pay for, I hope, in-home care. You know, someone mm -hmm. comes in, takes care of me as long as mm -hmm. I can stay at home. So I can exhaust that and not have that and have everything else in my Medicaid pre-planning trust if it's been in place for five years. I have preserved everything I have so that it goes to my kids. And that's what we all want. I didn't work all my life to right. that a state. <laughs> right. That's what I'm seeing now just with my own family member is in being respectful to the good living her husband my uncle had provided i know that that's their opinion that he is deceased my aunt's still alive she's almost 99 but in saying that of her saying we didn't work all this time that's right to that's right. roll down the window and throw the money out on care for yes. her heirs so you it, it's it, it's a formidable task for anybody who is a trustee or executor, because it's a huge responsibility right. then to start having to make right. these decisions. I will tell you, I yes. know this personally, <laughs> but uh, in this, yes. be because you did this for my husband and I, my husband and for my husband and me, I have to get my grammar right, for my husband and me when we were driving <laughs> on the road and I did the cross and all that. So here's one thing I, I do need to clarify. Does the government look at social security benefits as income? No. Okay, but so it is the income. Well, let me let me let me rephrase that. Okay, when we talk about Social Security, that is income, and my retirement oh. is income. Okay, oh, okay, and I can keep some of my spouse's income. Okay, but it is still income. Now, when you're talking about a trust, okay, 
income is everything you've got coming in, which would be rent, it would be Social Security, it would be retirement money, whatever you've got coming in. Well, the state looks at that the same way. Now, if we're talking about Social Security benefits, as in uh, Social Security is paying me on a disability basis, that might not be the same thing. It doesn't have to be repaid. Department of Human Services provides your Medicaid, okay, and that is a recovery benefit in, this, in most states, which means when you die, if you go to probate, that is a debt that has to be settled. So I get the state of Arkansas gets its money back from the estate. That may or may not be true with a trust. So what do you recommend for people that do living trusts just across the board? Okay. When people come in to see me, no health issues, and they're young, let's say they're in their 30s or 40s, and normally when we have people in their 30s come in, we're dealing with a separate issue. I've got a child who is not yet an adult. Okay? Right. Who's going to raise my child to yes. adulthood? Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the guardian. Okay. Who's going to handle my child's money? We like to separate those two so that the person who is uh, the guardian is not buying a house for all the whole them and the kids to live in, as we had right. happen one time, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, buying themselves a new Escalade to drive their kids and these kids back and mm-hmm. forth to school. Uh, so we're trying to separate the money from the children. So I've got a financial person, maybe it's Uncle John, okay, mm-hmm. and I've got Grandma Sue raising the kid. So Grandma says, John, I need money for a tuition. Okay, mm-hmm. yes, Mom, I'll write a check for that. Uh, I need money for school clothes. Uh, I'll write a check for that. Uh, now a kid's 16. John, I need money to send the kid back and forth to school because they need a car. Okay, I can mm-hmm. do that. Uh, you're using the money for the benefit of the child, okay, because Grandma's raising the child. So we've got mm-hmm. that issue to deal with, okay, if we have young children. So that's why we recommend, oh, God, please, every young parent, the minute you have a baby, get in here and let's make some decisions about who's going to raise the child who's going to handle their money. Then we move to people that are a little more established. You know, my child's in college or uh, my child's now an adult, uh, has children of their own. Uh, And I always say, you know, as a grandmother myself, if I'd have figured out how to have the grandkid, I wouldn't have had the kids. Uh, Uh, Hear, hear, preach. It's amazing. (laughs) We should have never had kids, just had grandkids. Except I said that one time to a client who looked at me and said, and where would you send them when you got tired of them? And no. I said, oh, I didn't think about that. That's true. The parents are, I forget, I, I take it back. Parents are very valuable. Yeah, the parents are very valuable. Okay. But what you're talking about here is, okay, I've got kids now that are adults. Uh, maybe they're not responsible adults. You right. Know? Right. Uh, I have a wonderful 25-year-old grandson who's very responsible, uh, but he's not through school yet, and he's not right. completely settled into his career. Uh, so I have his set up so that at age 30, he gets 5% every year. I can change that anytime I want to because a revocable living trust, not the Medicaid pre-planning trust, a revocable living trust, uh, which we use for almost everybody except someone worried about nursing home. Okay? Right. I see uh, now. I'm going to set it up so that it goes to my son, my daughter. And my grandson. And I can change my mind anytime he shows me that he's responsible enough to handle it all. Otherwise, I can spill it out to him in little droplets and uh, make him earn $35,000 a year, W-2 or 1099 income before he gets anything. Right. And I told him that when he was 15. And he said, are you kidding me? Nobody makes that kind of money. So oh, that <laughs> now, that he's, now that he's making that kind of money, it's right. working out just fine for him. Right. 
you know, but you can put rules on it. Uh, I don't want my kid to spend it. I might have a child that has a an addiction of some sort. Well, that's that's what I'm thinking. Let out. Well, let's say you write this up. You know, I, I say it may, more as a grandparent because my kids are fine. But let's say I write it up and then I see that my grandchildren were involved or named in it. But then I'm seeing, and I, I, I mine are five and three. But at some point when they're 25 and 23, there might be addiction, or they may have married yeah. somebody that. I'm worried about, you know, my, yes. my yes. assets, my, what I've worked hard for, then you can go in then at any time and say, you know what, we're going to, we're going to put the pause button on that one kid and we're going to write in a new, a caveat or something. That's right. It's a revocable living trust. Okay. I can amend it at any time. Okay. All right. So I left it. Let's pretend I left it to my two children with the uh -huh. understanding that when I died, they would leave it to their children. In other words, I uh -huh. dictated that. All right. Mm -hmm. And then I start watching my grandchild uh, go in the wrong direction, uh -huh. right? uh, picking the wrong people to associate right. with. I can come back and amend the trust and restrict what that child gets or grandchild gets. And we use the age of 30 kind of as our golden rule. Uh, if I have a grandchild under the age of 30 and parent dies, I have another, and usually it's one of the aunts or uncles, manage that child's money until they turn 30 meeting their needs. What are my needs? Well, I need, I need money for tuition. Uh, right. I need tires for my car. Okay. Uh, I need um, anything but a Dodge Hellcat that's $80,000, you know? Right. And so I can go to my aunt or uncle who is my trustee from my trust that I got from my grandparents through my father. Okay. And say, I need tires for my car. Uh, I need tuition. I need books. Can you help me? Need. It's not control. They can't go and demand. They can go and ask. Then at age 30, if they are not uh, into some sort of something like drugs or alcohol or maybe, uh -huh. you know, uh, a good person, they uh -huh. come to the uncle and they say, uh, Uncle John, can I have my uh, my trust now to manage? And Uncle John says, oh, God, I never thought you'd get to 30. Yes, here it is. Go. Yes, yes. Or he says, son, you know, we've been using this money to pay for drug treatment. You have not recovered. <clears throat> So I'm going to hold on to this. And we make that arbitrary. has to be a compelling reason to hold on to it. But we give them the authority to do that so that we hope the child gets their head together and then we can begin to move forward. But if I see my grandchild has turned out to be a doctor and he's doing great and moving forward in life, mm -hmm. I can change that. I can say, whenever I die, he can have it. And that's all there is to it. Now, I don't care. Do you have to petition the courts all along the way, like every turn in this? Or in some places, can the the trustee make decisions based on what the trust subjectively? Yes, because what we're talking about there is uh, we, we want to meet your needs, whatever those needs are, right. based on what the trustee thinks are your needs. Okay. okay? Uh, as I said, an $80,000 car might not be a need. Right. It's not, but uh, I can tell I you am, that. I'm 28 years old. I'm married. I have a child. I'd like well, to buy a house. Yes. Could okay. I have a down payment? Okay. You know? Yeah. I, I, I'm a butthole. So you wouldn't want me in this position. Cause you know, I, I would say no to all of it. And my husband would too. <laughs> so my poor grandchildren aren't, they're really going to have to tap dance, to get anything. Um, does, does the revocable living trust then change every time? Um, this is what I always thought that, 
and I don't know if this is right, but we did this for our kids however many years ago. And when we go on a trip, I always text my family and say, Sydney, you get the fur that is um, the brown one because you have red hair. And I say, Anna Margaret, you get all my silver jewelry because you look better in it. And then they say, Mom, you're... I cannot believe we're having this death conversation every time you leave us. But that's how I feel like the movies have it, that if I didn't spell it out in my revocable living trust, do I have to write it down and give them a record as to who gets what? Okay. Now, we have in all of our trusts what's called a personal property memorandum. Okay. And so I write down periodically things that I think the children might want. Now, let me just explain to you that, you know, like my son, when you ask your children, is there anything of mine you want? They're going to say, I don't want any of your junk. I got my own junk. Right. Uh, but <laughs> here's the thing about it. And that's why we say if you have a dollar and two relatives, you need to do some estate planning. Right. What we're talking about is what that, that jewelry that, that you're wearing right now. I don't want that jewelry. My mother's here, but my mother dies. And I want that more than anything in this world. And I don't want my brother's wife wearing it. And I'll kill him if he gets it. And Exactly. You know, and so what happens here? is we write down in our personal property memorandum okay. where I want my jewelry to go piece by piece if necessary. Uh, now, I kind of tease and say men only have two things, uh, guns and tools and sometimes and, fish and, and stuff. And maybe a okay. wedding ring and a watch, and that's it. Yeah, yeah maybe. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. And so when we get past that, everything else belongs to us women. And so I mm -hmm. want my personal stuff, my jewelry, uh, to go to wherever I want it to go. I sure don't want it to go to my husband's next wife. Uh, so, no. you know, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say this, my wedding ring to my daughter, Sue. And then you say, when, if I die first, my daughter gets these things, you know, okay. these pieces of jewelry. My husband would write down the same thing. Uh, you know, my shotgun to my grandson. If I die first, wife goes and gets it, passes it out. Okay. And then the third category is when we both die. You know, that's when the bedroom set and the uh, uh, truck goes and those things that we don't need anymore. And oftentimes when you ask your children, it's like, oh, that's weird because I'm thinking about mama being dead. That's what my kids were saying. They're like, this is so yes, macabre. Right. I can't believe you're bringing yes. this up. And I go, we're on the road. I don't know. We're I mean, we may go see the Lord. I don't know. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. But if you've written down these pieces, these things. Okay, that's a legal instruction. And when the time comes, uh, if you die first, your husband's going to give those things out. Okay. If you die, uh, both of you die, you know, you're gone. Then right. we've got somebody who is our successor trustee who will pass those things out according to my wishes. And then they will decide where the rest of it goes. Don't you think that is a valuable thing to do? E again, it's the dollar and two relatives. Even if you think what you have doesn't have a lot of value, it might have sentimental value to those twin daughters who are going to fight tooth and nail over the blank. Yes, that's it. That's what we're talking about. All right. It doesn't mean anything to me now because mama's here. Right. But the sentimental value of those earrings that you're wearing that you bought at Walmart, okay, is, oh, this is so important. Because if I've got it, I can open my hand at any time and see my sweet mother wearing those earrings. It means the world to me. And if my, you know, and it's lots of times it's kind of like my sister's husband is now uh, wearing my daddy's watch or something like that. Uh -huh. and I'll kill her. I, I'm just not going to put up with it. And families break up over this kind of stuff and never speak to each other again. I know. You they know? do all the time. And now I'm seeing it. Yes. Now I can understand it. Now that you made this very visual 
Um, I know um, there's a very, very wealthy woman in Little Rock of generational wealth. And I saw her one time and I was talking to her because she's often approached, I'm sure, about her generational wealth. And um, I said something about, oh, um, the ashes of her late husband. And she said something that now is making sense to me. She said, yes, I have the urn beside my bed, but I'm sure they'll fight about that too someday. And it's making me think that maybe things weren't doled out specifically to each child. And it's a constant source of conflict. Yes. And, and people fight. I'm talking about like fight, like physically fight. Wow. Uh, I had three sisters not long ago that inherited 6,000 acres of level farmland. Okay. Worth a fortune. We divided it all up. Got the deeds done. Everything's fine. Surveyed everything. Everything's great. And then they got in a fight over stuff left in the old farmhouse. Mom had been in a nursing home almost two years. So he'd been sitting there all that time. Okay. We had a three broken ribs, a busted kneecap, and a concussion out of that Sunday afternoon Mary. fight. Taking stuff out. That's true. True story. Yeah. And you know what the big fight about, which is where the, the broken ribs came in? They were <laughs> Please fighting tell over me. a dough roller. Fighting Stop over a it. dough roller. Stop it. That they said Uncle John made. Stop. Okay. And <laughs> it was bought at Walmart. Mary. Uncle John didn't make it at all. Oh, Mary. That's But they were fighting thing. with each other. That's the Physically funniest thing fighting. I've ever heard. Was that in Arkansas? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It was in Arkansas. Yeah, it love was. It. That's the best yeah, drop yeah. the mic kind of moment <laughs> I've had in a podcast in a long time because we've got to wrap up anyway and we can't top that story. I will, <laughs> that, I will always, that was my best one. <laughs> I will always remember you, Mary, as the lady who uh, tried to show us that families need to, they need to behave. <laughs> exactly. And I wrote the book called Greed Made Me Do It. And it's full of stories about people doing this exact same thing to each other. I'm Mary, grateful that I'm an only I, child. <laughs> I am. Yeah, right. I am going to put, uh, is your book available still that people can buy it? Oh, yes. It's on Amazon. Okay. I'm going okay. to put that in the show notes as well as other things. And anyone in Arkansas, um, can can you consult people in other states or do they have to be within the state of Arkansas? I'm licensed in Florida and Indiana and Colorado. And so I can work in any of those states. Okay. Well, that's, uh, you got four of the great states in uh, the U.S. of A. And Mary Nash can represent you. Mary, you're a delight. I'm glad I've gotten to know you. Uh, where's your uh, pup, what, what's he called? Your pup legal? Your pup legal? Puppet yeah, legal crawl back in his bed and he's asleep snoring away. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I hope everything works well for the rest of you. And we're going to make you famous, Mary. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. You're a doll, Lisa. I really appreciate you, girl. This half hour of the Lisa Fisher Said podcast is sponsored exclusively by Aptus Financial. AptusFinancial.com. That's where my guest, Sarah Catherine Gutierrez, is the founder, CEO, and partner of Aptus Financial. She has made a name for herself in the world of not just wealth building like so many do, but hers is smarter. It's of saving for retirement. She's also known as the Lady Splaining Money. She's authored the delightful book, But First Save 10. And she's a freelance financial columnist with our statewide daily. Her firm, Aptus Financial, is committed to helping you save for retirement. 
So the but first save 10 principles are where they use that. And then doing things like building an emergency fund, paying off high interest credit card debt, making smart student loan decisions. And one way she's helped me and my family is saving for healthcare emergencies or expenses. And in my case, because I'm not employed by a Fortune 500 company, but my husband is, he has the good health savings account policy. You probably have it too. And she's taught us some things with that. You can go to their website for more information and someone there can get back with you, but do it today. Learn more about your financial health and secure your financial future with a healthy retirement. Go to aptusfinancial.com. Now we're switching gears and you're going to meet Sarah Catherine Gutierrez from Aptus Financial, who can help you with retirement planning. Here's Sarah Catherine. Okay, let's, uh, we talked about the spend down, Sarah Catherine, and now, and that's important. That's to prepare for those final years for an aging parent. But look, the rest of us, I mean, I may look old, but I'm not aging as much as I think I am. And we have to get our finances in order. So how do we start preparing, let's say 40s, 50s, and 60s? Let's say someone hasn't done, they haven't done much, or we know the stock market obviously vacillates. And some people have lost their hide and whether it was 2008 or this last couple of years, it's been rocky. What can people start doing now? Hi, Lisa. Yes. I mean, that's exactly right. Uh, It's time. And, you know, I would say step one of reversing a trend of like not having enough savings or anything like that. Step one is going to be a mindset shift. Oh, that's good. Mindset is everything. I'm seeing that as I age. I'm seeing mindset is everything. Yeah. And I would love to hear more about like your perspective from health, because I think it's the same um, that we see on the financial side. But there is a shift that has to happen where this becomes a priority. And here's Mm -hmm. the deal. I have never seen a more motivated group in our retirement plans and financial wellness programs than people who enter their 50s. To some degree, people in their mid-40s, like kind of in my age group, but certainly there is a mindset shift that is a much easier shift when you are 50 years old and saying, wait, I don't want to work, have to work the rest of my life. I don't want to have to make decisions in my mid-60s, be able to stop work or work less or have to cut my lifestyle dramatically. And the coolest thing is that a good 25 or 30% savings rate starting in your 50s, even if you have nothing saved, can actually get you there. And so that's what I would say is, first of all, I mean, that's, I mean, do you want it? Like, do you want it bad enough? Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do about it? Because that's right. this is really the ball is in whoever's listening, your court, your court, my court, and it's time to serve, serve it up. Okay. So in your forties, I, I think you youngsters are thinking you still have time. <laughs> and then uh, those of us approaching retirement are like, no, we don't. What's, what is it in the four? Do you have then a graph or something financially in the 40s start? You said 20 to 25%, right? Is that for fifties? 
Or 50s. is that for the 40s too? Well, so, sorry. So 50s, it's more like a 30%-ish. Okay. Um, now, if you have some money saved, run a calculator, right? A calculator, there's, you know, Nerd Wallet has a great one. Vanguard okay. has a great one. Just run a retirement calculator and say like, okay, um, how much money am I going to need at this lifestyle if I want to continue this lifestyle in retirement, which most people do. Um, and, and, you know, put your age in there, put when you want to stop working or be able to stop working, you know, for a lot of people that's age 65. And then the calculator will tell you, here's how much money you would need to save starting now every single year to reach that. So in general, if people haven't ever saved in your forties, it's going to be 20 to 25% in your fifties, it's going to be somewhere 30% plus. All right. I'm kind of doing the math there. So this is how we look at it. Um, those of us who have seen um, 60, you know, on a birthday cake, my husband always says, this is what it's going to, this is how much we want to enjoy monthly when we retire. And that's how he's planning. Now we're still depending on social security. What do you mm -hmm. think about people in their forties and fifties? Do you think it's a, it's a sure bet? Yeah, I think so. So we okay. uh, we factor in Social Security to our assumptions. Now, if you make a lot of money, so if you're in that you know group that's making one hundred fifty thousand dollars plus, remember Social Security is just not going to be as big of an impact on your finances. So um, you know, if people who are middle income, luckily for them, catching up is not so hard because Social Security could still be you know fifty to sixty percent replacement on their income. That's just not the case. Um, with folks who make a little bit more money. And and that's why, especially in this age group, we have to be a lot more careful, you know, Social Security or not, about making sure that we are actually paying ourselves first, putting that money before we spend on anything else into these accounts um, to make sure that that money is there so that we can live. Like you said, I mean, could you imagine if your conversation right now over the dinner table is, how am I going to pay for my medications? Mm. How am I going to pay for my rent? Mm. How am I going to pay the mortgage that I never paid off yeah. by the time I retired? That is not the conversation you want to be having. Imagine, like, put yourself in your yeah. shoes. That's what I would say for listeners. What are the conversations you want to be having? I want to be having a conversation about, you know, how am I going to go visit my kids or grandkids? How can right. we take a family vacation yeah. together and we foot the bill? Like these are the kinds of conversations that I know I want to be having, not, you know, how do we stretch this fixed income via social security until the next month? That's just, that's a, that's a conversation a lot of people are having to have right now. Um, and, and it's, and it's tough. This is, sounds like a position of privilege. It does not, but we've always been a family of, we you pay cash for cars, but Hey, we buy used cars. So mm -hmm. we're not buying the latest and greatest. And we're doing that just because we hate interest around here. When do you think it's time to be grownups and start saying, you know what? And start looking at paying cash for a used car. Oh my gosh. It's like, it's like magical. Okay. So first of all, Lisa, um, what you just said is, is let's just all establish. It's very un-American of you. Um, so we're, I right. Know. So we're supposed to buy frequently, buy new, and we're supposed to take on a lot of debt. So yeah. I'm a little afraid that it sounds, looks like you're 
well hidden in a shoe closet right now. Right. It'll take some time for people my, to come storm sh- your doors and come studio, find you. Right, my studio. <laughs> right, you're right. I know it's crazy. Okay, so so uh, so if, if anyone sees armed guards coming into Lisa Fisher's house, like that's it. Call the police. Okay, so first of all, uh, that's just not what we do around here, but. Yeah. The tides are turning. I was just talking to a banker last week who said their average rate on a car loan, I hope you're sitting down. It looks like you're sitting I down. Am. I'm holding on. 9%. Come on. Come on. Nine. The age of consumerism, oh my gosh. of buying on debt, of the oh $65,000 finance card, it's over. So here's what's cool. It was real hard to ask people to save ahead for a car when they could just go get a 0% car loan, right? right. Like it was really, really hard. Right. But, Those days are behind us. But, but the reason I could tell someone to do it was esoteric. It was like, look, you'll buy less car because it's harder to save ahead mm-hmm. for a car mm-hmm. than to just spontaneously see the car you want in the lot. And it says, oh, your car payment's going to be $500. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, I'm buying this brand new, awesome Bluetooth, whatever car for $500. Meanwhile, six years later, you're still paying on what is now an old car where the Bluetooth is broken. Okay. That's that was the argument before, and it was like almost impossible to make. Now it's not impossible to make. Right. The age of saving is here. We're finally here. We're going to get rewarded for our savings. We're going to get penalized for taking on debt, and we it, and it happened so fast. Like I, I don't even think people have caught up to the whiplash. But this is if you want to enter a mindset of a saver, you've never entered a better time to do it because. People are going to reward you for your savings. You're going to get paid via interest. And you're not even going to be tempted to go buy that car. Who's going to pay 9% interest on a car loan? Are you? No, but there no. are a lot of a lot of people are because they don't understand how how it works and that by and my kids are are not people who make big incomes. You know, they they only yeah, two are college educated. One has a great career outside of being college educated, but they've all are. I mean, that's kind of in their DNA. That's their savings DNA. Cause you and I first met when I did that article for that statewide publication. And when I came to you, it was about savers and spenders. And when I was in that editorial meeting and saying, there were even people in that room who didn't have enough cash if their washer and dryer went out. Mm-hmm. And I know they made good money because a lot of them were in sales. A lot of them were on the editorial staff that doesn't make as much, but then you dial it back, you know, but it's the fact that people for so long were so unprepared. Maybe COVID helped us at that point reevaluate some things. We were home. We were looking at finances because our supplemental income maybe had dropped. I don't know what it was. Well, also the stock market and interest rates. When I built this home, because we're neighbors, I was at, I think maybe we're at two and a half, two and three quarters percent. And now, as you know, home rates are about 7%. Right. So maybe that has changed, turned the tide in consumption. What do you think about that? So I'm hopeful that that will be the case, but we're not seeing it just yet. I think that people are still in the spender mindset. Yeah. um, And that's going to be a little tough to turn around. It's going to be painful. Um, so in our retirement plans, we're seeing people cashing out. We're seeing people take loans to pay off credit cards. Um, healthcare costs are going that? up. So what do you think about cashing out? Cause you're penalized. 
Oh, it's terrible. Ugh. Oh, I mean, obviously it's terrible. No, no, no. We're doing what we, what we know to do, which is to say, okay, we need this mindset shift. And we're focusing on building emergency funds now. Build okay. it now. So pay yourself first into retirement. We got to have that. But a lot of people now can go to their HR department and and give them their savings account number, and they can actually payroll deduct directly into their own savings account. And that is a powerful tool. As you and I talked about for that for that magazine, I don't just believe in using motivation to save because our brains are not known to, to hang on to motivation. And this is something you, I bet you yeah. could talk about yeah. a lot smarter yeah. when it comes to health. Yeah. Um, so you have to yeah. find ways right. to circumvent an unmotivated brain three months or four months down the road. And the key to that is automation. So if you say to yourself, uh, so I was, I was with a, a woman yesterday and she was doing just that, uh, setting up her payroll deduction, $50 a pay period into an emergency fund. And then we went the added step of saying, do you want this to happen every single pay period? And we were doing the calculation that this was going to be, you know, over a thousand dollars saved, uh, you know, pretty quickly. Like, Good. and she Good. was like, I, I've never had that much money liquid you know, wow. in my life, but this wow. is going to happen. So it's that extra step of Good. automation. So yes, it's the pay yourself first for retirement. And then it's also putting a bulletproof vest around your retirement by having an emergency fund so that you don't even get tempted to take a loan or a withdrawal from that account. And what would that be behind bears at the zoo and they, they keep the money in a honey pot? I mean, what can people do to not get bit? I mean, some people, I'll tell you, like, so first of all, I believe that you start your emergency fund separate from your own bank. So if you have a bank, Smart. you know, at Arvest, like start it at yeah. AFCU, like, okay. you know, Federal Credit Union, like start it somewhere else. Or they're great online banks that are paying a lot of interest right now yeah. on accounts. Put it there. So have, and then throw away the key, the key being your account yeah. number. I mean, like yeah. make right. it hard to remember how to get that money Good. and try yeah. to forget about it. And then you'll find if you really are an emergency, you will, you will have very fast recall of where you have pots of money. And, yeah. um, and yeah, that bear will find that honey pot. Yeah. Well, here people listening, tell me, cause I'll lose it by the time it's three o'clock today. If, I always tell my kids, if there's something you, you want lost, give it to your mother. But if you want something <laughs> saved, don't give it to me because I'll never remember. Um, your book is, is it But First Save 10? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so that, that's your philosophy of whatever you do. It's But First, it's putting something aside. You were saying this before it was cool. Okay. You were saying oh. it in 2019. It was, did you publish that 19 or 20? Uh, I published it in 2020. So are you saying okay. I'm cool? Oh, you're way cool. I mean, come on. You can salsa dance. You're beautiful. You're smart. You're kind of the perfect woman. You can do like, math. <laughs> well, I, no, in the book, I'm very clear about my inability to do math well, but um, but I do math well enough to add, uh, yeah. which is all you have to do when you're yeah. uh, talking about finances. Well, yeah. I feel like this, I got something major out of this, Lisa. <laughs> if, if you think I'm cool, yeah, no. then I, uh, yeah. I'll take it. Thank you. No, I think you're um, very cool. Yeah. So the book uh, is about paying yourself first. That's it. Pay yourself first. And it's for a 23-year-old starting out who didn't get the messages that most of us 
um, you know, her, or who's, she's getting the message to this book that a lot of us didn't get when we were starting our careers, which is no matter what, put your first 10% that you make into an account for your future self and just yeah. have that as a discipline. I mean, it's hard to get excited about retirement at the age of 23 when you're right. like, gosh, why am I excited about stopping work? I'm excited about starting work, right. but this is just what we do. So we're just trying to normalize it. Okay. So we're trying to figure that out for 23 year olds. But in the meantime, how about the 40 year olds like me and the 50 year old, like that didn't get this message? You know what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry to myself. I'm sorry to other people that that wasn't something normal that, that, you know, we now go and we have saved 10 talks to graduating women at most universities here in Arkansas now. Good. And they get a copy Thank of you. my book, the Thank women's you. foundation of Arkansas is sponsoring this and it's awesome. And the, and the department of ed, it's incredible. But for those of us that didn't get that message, didn't get that book, what do we do? We bite the bullet. We still pay ourselves first. Yes, we lost years. Yes, we lost compounding in the stock market. But you know what? Best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The next best time to plant a tree is today. That's right. So just just do it. Well, you and I know that, <clears throat> I mean, those of us on Facebook, those of you who are listening outside of Little Rock, there's a private Facebook group called Little Rock Power Women. And I'm sure, Sarah Catherine, you're on it. And so it's this group that you have to live in Little Rock or Central Arkansas and we help each other, right? It's quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. But so many times, and I say this now with my serious face, there are women who are saying, I've been married for 30 years. I'm going through a divorce. I'm left with nothing. I have a child. I, I He has the money or he's going to take half my retirement. My heart skips a beat for those women because though they may have been told they and this isn't any relationship. It's it's any it, it it could be anything, right? Where you didn't have you didn't have agency over your own money, but you didn't realize it because no one told you you needed to have agency or ownership over it. So a lot of people are starting over. Not just the person who said, "Oops, I didn't save," but the person who said, "I'm a new widow." or widower. I'm a new divorcee. I, I have a special needs child. Things are more expensive. I have an illness. So that's why I think it's so valuable for what you're saying that it is an umbrella over anyone. I mean, I am provided for well now, but the economy could go bad. I could lose my husband in a tragic accident. It, it doesn't mean everything's taken care of, but I know that we're doing everything we can to head off any crisis. I know you Lisa, this, okay. There are three huge points out of what you just said that, I mean, we could have an entire show on because you're absolutely right. First of all, you know, the plan. Yeah. So, you know, your plan. Yeah, I do. Okay. Second of all, so many women don't know the plan and we are, there is actual conditioning that happens in our faiths and our religious yeah. communities where we are told that the men are in charge of our money and to have blind trust. We mm -hmm. have to stop this. Mm -hmm. We can absolutely have the man take the lead in finances mm -hmm. or have the woman take that. It doesn't matter. It actually does work when one person is kind of the point person, right? That's right. Like Somebody. Everybody takes, right. Someone takes a point, but that doesn't mean blind faith. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you have zero understanding of what the plan is. Right. That is how so many women get blindsided. It's not because men are bad with money. It's just that unilaterally, it seems that if someone's taking the lead, it's going to be the guy. And 
by having zero involvement, whether you're man or woman, you're going to lose out potentially if that's not being handled. And that is what I see a lot. And then third of all, this is what has to happen. If you are in that situation and you have been blindsided and you're in your 40s or your 50s, here's the what you're up against is you're up against a lifestyle that has been set. So your brain has codified oh, it. That's, you're in it. That's important. Yeah. You have to take away all assumptions about lifestyle and, and as quickly as you possibly can right size your lifestyle to fit whatever those means are from your income or whatever settlement you have, whatever is going to make it last. Because I'll tell you what, there is no physical item or service that you can have done on you that is going to replace the feeling of peace by knowing what your future is going to be and where that money is going to be and that you're going to be taken care of. And I can promise you that because if I hadn't seen it over the last 12 years of doing this, of time and time again, women going down one of two paths. One is, you know what? I'll worry about it later. I can't, I don't want to give up this house because that's what my kids are used to. I mean, Mm. we tell stories. They're not bad stories, but they're still stories. Our brain is telling us to convince us to stay down that same lifestyle. If we can say to ourselves, no, 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 that is a story. That is in a lie in a sense. I know that I need to take a different path. It's the path. It's the, it's, it's the, (laughs) path less taken, but Mm -hmm. it's the one of, you know what? The most important thing in my life is peace and knowing what my future is going to be. And I'm going to downsize until I can find it. I've seen women, especially take that path. They never look back. Never. No one has ever said to me, I wish I had stayed in that house with the Mm -hmm. mortgage that was too big. Never, never. Hell no. I'm sorry to cuss. Hell no. Right. No. And, and, you know, when you and I go on the road, when people start hiring us for the Lisa and Sarah <laughs> Catherine show, I the reason I'm going to piggyback that statement is that I that is the same perspective with health that I have with people. What worry and fear do to your health is really worse than the cigarettes and the booze because of what it does to your cortisol, what it does to your hormones, and then what, I mean, what it does for your future. So we're both talking about investing in futures and uh, not just future stock market. I don't want you to think pork bellies. I want you to think your financial future and your health future. You are so good. We're out of time, but we're going to have you back because I know Darren, a producer, is chomping at the bit for this. But you are a gem. Are you doing, you? because you know, I've been trying to get you to do a podcast forever. Did you ever do one? Did you ever start one? No, I'm just so privileged to get to be on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, you, it's it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of persistence and dedication and talent. And you have all of those things. Well, you're sweet. So, no, but thank you for, for asking and let, letting me come on and talk to you. I appreciate it. Well, we're out of time, but my favorite thing that I told you, I even made you laugh last year when I read at the Sunday morning uh, breakfast table, we don't eat breakfast, we're faster, Sunday morning coffee table, um, we were having coffee, I'm reading everything Sarah Catherine has taught me on health savings accounts, HSAs, to invest in those. I When you first told me about it two or three years ago, I was like, what are you talking about? And now... We use it, and then because it has the rollover effect that the um, flexible spending does not use, it does not have the user lose it, but it is a savings investment for yourself and your health, which you eventually will use. So thank you for that. We'll send people to uh, Aptus and um, 
You're terrific. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com. It's Lisa Fisher time.